Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast, brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today on the Hay Kings podcast, I'm joined by Greg Hutchinson from Ellensburg, Washington. Greg's taken kind of a unique path, starting out on the farm and then going to the John Deere Technician School. Now he builds electronic systems and he's done some work on a twin pack baler and has his own line of products. Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast. Thanks, John. Tell me about your operation. I don't do a whole lot of farming myself, but growing up, I worked with my uncle quite a bit. He had probably about 100 acres of hay he'd put up himself, and my dad had 40 acres, and we kind of worked the two operations together when I was in high school, and my dad worked full-time, and my uncle was quite a bit older and was, I guess I should say is that he he had a lot of health issues and just wasn't getting around the farm as much. And so I uh, worked pretty much all through high school for him and ended up having to do a lot of it myself. And uh, we'd use all of his equipment up at my dad's place and that kind of thing. Gotcha. And uh, ran some cattle and my uncle had sheep at the beginning of when I started helping him and stuff. And we phased the sheep and I guess he probably still had cattle when we quit, where when I got done with high school, we were kind of phasing things back there a little bit. And my cousin's taken it over and kind of uh, done his his continuing to farm the old the old homestead, so to speak. And after high school, where did you go? Um, I went to John Deere um, Technician School, which was a partnership between Walla Walla Community College and John Deere. So uh, John Deere sponsors the school. They provide all the curriculum and uh, training, and they provide tractors and transmissions and all kinds of components and things that you get to go to school and learn how to be a technician and disassemble things and put them back together and Uh learn all about how they work and how to service them and just really learn how to be a professional technician and about two years. <laughs> gotcha. And where did you go after that? Well, after that, I was working full-time at the John Deere dealer here in town in Ellensburg. Oh, can we pause for just a second? Ellensburg yep. is one of my favorite places. Is uh, it? <laughs> can, can you talk through why Ellensburg is special to the hay world? Being a hometown person, we'll see if my perspective is the same as somebody <laughs> from out of the area. Basically, I'd say that that Ellensburg is probably the capital of exporting grass or Timothy rather to Pacific Rim countries. And um, we've got a lot of hay presses here. A lot of, a lot of international business goes through Ellensburg. Kind of a, a hay mecca, if you will. <laughs> yep. It kind of is. All right. So you, uh, you were working as a John Deere technician uh, in yep. Ellensburg. Yep. What's exciting about that? We're a pretty small dealership. One of the best things about it probably was is that the store wasn't big enough for it to be like, oh, this one technician, all he does is balers. And this technician over here, all he does is tractors. And this guy over here is the Harrowbed expert. Like That's kind of how they used to run it in there. There was more turnover and just not the same consistent people there all the time. So as a young uh, technician, I got to go out and learn, of course, tractors, but also a lot about balers. And I'd grown up 
running Harrowbed. And so I ended up just working on a lot of electrical and hydraulic issues. That's kind of what I specialized in. And, and it wasn't specific to any one brand or, or type of machine. So it was really nice to get a big diversity of different things to work on. Uh, real quick, Harrowbed, for those that don't know that word. <laughs> Bail wagon is the... Uh, the common name for it. Right. You're talking about self-propelled stack wagons. Yep. Okay. Take me through your favorite harrow bed. <laughs> well... Or maybe um, the more interesting is your least favorite harrow bed. <laughs> I grew up running 1095, even though those ones are kind of special in their own way. Like, I'll always like those ones just because they're kind of a mix of the old versus new. Kind of had to teach myself how to run one when I was probably about 14 or so and was having a little bit of trouble figuring out the the controller. Um, I thought it was counting the bales when the count was changing on there, but oh. it turns out it's the number of times the table trips. And right, so right. once I got that figured out, I was quite a bit better at it. But um, I'm fairly new to these new fangled harrow beds with computers. Yep. <laughs> uh, but the 1075, 1085, 1095, they're all kind of in the same uh, family, uh, with a, a logic board, not a real, not a real computer, but a logic board that measures uh, proximity sensor opening and closing, and then actuates hydraulic cylinders based off of that. Right. You're right. Yep. It'll load two bales and trip the first table and that advances the first table count. And then four times with the first table up onto the second table, then the second table advances tipping up into the load rack and advances the count. Right. Yep, yep. Or five times, depending on whether you're doing two or three tie, right? Yeah, I mean, mostly all three tie. I've only stacked two tie with a block stack. Yeah, it's not that fun. <laughs> no, I mean, if you got them right at 45 inches long, I think they work pretty good. But, like, I, of course, was, like, going out on somebody who had a 1048 that broke down and wanted their stuff picked up. Mm -hmm. Well, they probably had them at 46 or 47 or something. Or <laughs> yep. Yeah, 1095. I don't know if you've been around those much, but mm -mm. the first gear tends to be a little bit too fast for most operations or the mm. most when you've got heavy hay, it's just a little bit fast and you end up riding the brake quite a bit and running the foot throttle too, or even the hand throttle just have enough hydraulic flow to make them work good. Ah, uh, now yeah. that, that has an automatic transmission, right? Yeah, it does. Okay, so the ten I have a ten seventy five with the ten eighty five computer in it. And that's right. And that's still the four speed. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and they they actually offered a left hand brake kit for the ten ninety five because of how much you'd end up riding the brakes. Oh, and being an automatic transmission, you can't just open it up and change out that gear and make it right again. Yeah, <clears throat> so I've actually done some research on it, and the first gear is the same. It's not exactly the same, but it's really close to the same ratio as the first gear on a BW28 and newer. I think the possibly the rear end might be the, the main difference between it being too fast. And Ah, uh, okay. So... I also happen to know you've worked on some pretty cool electronics projects. What are some of the things that you've done? About 2013, 2014, when I was still working at the um, dealership, I started developing a stroke counter, uh, mostly for the Freeman Baylors that are around here. And um, that kind of opened up some opportunities for some other things that came later. But basically, it started with one of my friends. We were 18, and we 
I, I remembered going to Nevada with him to pick up his first 370. We hauled this thing back with a half ton truck on the freeways. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, for those of you that I, I have a 370 with now, was that an engine bailer? Yep. Oh yep. boy. Three, that, that makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thankfully it was a three cylinder. So hopefully we saved a little bit of weight. <laughs> right. Right. When I first started looking into Freeman's, it was explained to me that if you take the plunger out of a uh, two-tie Freeman and compare it to the plunger on a two-tie New Holland, so a 16 by 18 comparable baler, it's yeah. about twice the weight I'm on, sure. on yep. the Freeman as in the New Holland. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot more metal to them. So those yep. are heavy, heavy machines. Yeah. And a half-ton pickup isn't isn't enough. <laughs> no. It did fine. We went about 55 most of the way and it's got a, a dry clutch to engage the engine to the flywheel and mm-hmm. that clutch was um, it appeared to be locked up when we bought it and we couldn't get the baler to turn over before we bought it or rather before my friend bought it but uh we bought it because it was pretty cheap and i was like ah whatever's wrong with it we'll figure it out and um enough driving on the rumble strip with one one side of the baler hitting the rumble strip quite a bit of the way actually loosened up whatever was wrong. We pulled in the driveway and went to try it again, and by golly, it turned over no problem. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we were coming back, but it had to be about that time that year, I think. He was like, do you think you could make me a stroke counter? And I was like thinking to myself, I don't know, I guess, but why would I really want to do that? I mean, other people make them, and you know, why don't you just go buy one? Because the whole reason he wanted one is because he had bailed for somebody that had one. And um, <clears throat> so that must have been about 2010. A few years later, we were I was working as a technician. I was out doing something for a farmer and saw them in their driveway trying to make my competitor's unit work. And uh, I thought to myself, man, there's got to be a better way to make that work. It's got magnets that you have to weld on and just didn't seem like it was all that convenient and you had to weld stuff onto a hay dog and try and get a magnet on a hay dog to line up with a sensor every time a flake comes in. Wait, try that again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so weld a magnet onto a hay dog. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then weld a bracket with a sensor mounted on it and make them line up every single time. And like, I mean, if you've ever replaced a hay dog, you know that the pins and the Oh, holes and, the, and the springs and they get wobbled out yeah because they they're, act, they're, i mean they're bouncing around there on every single stroke yeah and those things do get worn out right and they do break on the occasion <laughs> yep and of course well you're welding stuff onto other things and welds aren't exactly always the most <laughs> consistent or you're trying to weld small pieces onto something and bouncing and vibrations and things on hay balers. Eventually those welds break and your magnet falls off. These guys were, you know, trying to get it adjusted to make it work again. And I had heard a lot of things about them being inconsistent and stuff. And so I thought, well, there's just gotta be a simpler way. And so I came up with a idea and I learned about controllers that are, you know, off the shelf controllers that you can program and, got a guy to program it for me and built my first wiring harness and got something rigged up that seemed like it would work and put it up for sale in the showroom of the dealership I worked at, talked to the parts manager about doing that. Then we had a, one of the local farmers came in and saw it and was like, who makes that? The the, uh, parts manager was like, I can't tell you. I just can't tell you who makes that. He's like, huh, well, (laughs) 
well, is it going to work? And they're like, well, okay, it, it's Greg. He's like, oh, okay, let's buy one and try it out. So went and put it in his self-propelled Freeman, and it worked pretty good. So I, of course, made one for my friend who kind of inspired me to start making them too and had him all set up with one as well. And, and they, they just worked every time. I mean, the only time that they don't work is when the sensors, of course, aren't lined up, which is kind of a, a given. Uh, they just worked way more reliably than than the other ones. They weren't getting out of adjustment unless somebody actually, you know, moved them or just didn't have them adjusted well to begin with. Hey, Greg, let's take a pause here and get a word from our sponsors. The baler I have, they have their own net wrap that was recommended with that baler. I used to have close to 10 to 20% loss on, on my hay bales from a rippage. I used a small demo roll of Vermeer and baled 50 bales that day and didn't miss one. And the day after that, I ended up doing 347 bales in one day and didn't miss one bale. I'm Tyler Knight, and that's why I switched to Vermeer net wrap. Receive $20 off your purchase of two or more rolls of VermeerNet. Purchase must be made by December 31st, 2020. Download your coupon today at vermeernetwrap.com slash haykings. You were talking about sensors on a hay dog bouncing around. That doesn't make a lot of good sense to me. Uh, <laughs> the, the location of your sensors. I take the stroke count off of the nodder chain. Um, I mount a bracket on the one of the idler sprockets for the nodder chain. We just get it counting the teeth on the idler sprocket, and then we uh, program the stroke counter for the number of teeth on the um, nodder clutch uh, gear. Since that's got to be one-to-one to the plunger, you can program it to the same number of teeth, and the stroke counter counts the number of pulses and divides by that number and knows that that's one stroke. We put the other sensor on something that trips only once, when the bale is tied, most of the two-tie balers, we're putting it on the on the needle yoke. Um, when that comes up the top of its travel, we line a sensor up with that, and it counts one bale and divides the number of strokes it counted or, or the number of pulses it counted by the nodder clutch value, basically. Knows how many flakes per bale you just did. Now, help me understand why that's valuable. Well, it's a great way to monitor how quickly you're feeding material into a baler so that uh, you do that consistently. You get the same number of flakes in the bale. You get the same length per bale, a lot more consistent. And when you get your length per bale more consistent, your your weight's going to be more consistent as well. This is about consistency. Maybe a little bit about operator ease. Yeah. Yeah. Where you don't have to have somebody that just intuitively counts strokes in the back of their mind, like somebody that's rattled around on a baler for years and years. Right. Yep. You got a readout that shows, oh, you just made a 20 stroke bale. Maybe I need to adjust that. Maybe I want to be at a two inch average or, uh, well, if I'm shooting for a 45 inch bale, 40, call it a 46 inch bale to make the math easy. You want a two inch flake for consistency and length. That's 23 strokes. So if yeah. you're running 20, you're just a little fast. Or maybe if you're really trying to push through some alfalfa in the middle of the night, trying to get it bailed before the dew goes off, maybe you don't care as much and, and you just want to know that it's a consistent 16 flakes, right? Right, yeah. I've not, I've not done any of this. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, the length is really important for all the, any mechanical handling system, I think. Um, right. Right. Whether you're picking up bales with a grapple and an accumulator or you're 
or on a bale baron or a New Holland harrow bed or bale wagon. Yeah. Um, it all makes a difference with all those those different systems. Weights are really important for for the domestic market. If you're selling by the bale, you don't want to be giving away any extra product. And mm-hmm. a lot of guys have contracts where they provide a minimum bale weight to a feed store. And you know if your contract is 95 pounds, but you always give them a, a hundred or 105 pounds well yeah you're giving giving away away a lot lot of product yeah there's a couple of pockets in the u.s that have those requirements uh arizona is one of those markets right yep for sure yep where they really want that 95 pound bale period end of story yeah (laughs) yeah no there's no ifs ends or buts about it up here where we're at i mean bale weight was important to not go above a maximum but it was more for the everything was hand loaded at that time, and mm-hmm. I think it was more of a desire to keep things just a little bit more manageable for the guys loading. And, but everything was bought and sold by the ton, or everything went over a scale, so yep. it wasn't the end of the world if it varied a little bit. Right. For me, understanding my bale weight is important because I have to ship hay. I'm always trying to push that upper edge to maximize semi-loads to make it economical to ship. Sure, right. So that's where that becomes really valuable. And then, like you said, getting the bale length right makes a tremendous difference, especially in a squeeze block kind of situation, where if you have really consistent bales, you have some really pretty consistent squeeze blocks and the truckloads look good. And if you don't, it's a problem. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Do you have any other projects that you're working on that you can talk about? I've been working on the uh, the Grady Twin Pack for about, oh, almost five years now. Uh-huh. Um, that came about because of my stroke counter. Jason knew I was making uh, stroke counters, and uh, he uh, had gotten some of them for his Freemans. And then when he created his prototype, he contacted me, wanting me to do the monitor. And eventually, I agreed to do the monitor. and. Uh, then that grew into, well, can you do the uh, electrical harness and can you do the light harness? And, oh, yeah, we're going to need hydraulics on this, too. And so um, I ended up getting to design the, the tension control valve and all the hydraulics for the for the twin pack prototypes. So that's been a really cool project to be a part of for the last several years and pretty cool to finally see it coming together. This was our first season getting it out to customers and been a little bit rocky, but uh, they're making it work and we're working through the different issues on it. I'd really like to get your thoughts on the value of that twin pack. <laughs> well, it's just a, it's a phenomenal deal. It, it's uh, going to double your productivity at a minimum, and maybe even triple your productivity in three tie with, uh, you know, if you're going up against a, if you typically bale hay with a Freeman at like 20 strokes, a bale in alfalfa and mm-hmm. now you consistently do 15 strokes and you make two perfectly square blocks every time well now you've just you've not only gained the productivity of going from from 12 strokes of or i mean not 12 strokes but 20 strokes of bale to 15 strokes of bale but now you're doing that times two and uh, that's where it gets pretty easy to to start doing a three to one replacement ratio if you're in grass, I think you might still need to be closer to 18 or 20 strokes, but uh, there's definitely room for it to improve. I just haven't had enough time to test the demo unit I had this year. We got it in the middle to end of the season, and next year we'll have it for the beginning of the 
first cut and it'll be a lot easier to start playing around with what you can really do with it. I'm going to give you an open invitation to come on up to my place. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be just like you can just kind of progress uh, from down in the basin to up in Ellensburg and then on over to my place. And you can, yeah. <laughs> and you can bail Timothy for, oh boy, you could probably keep that thing going for a month solid that way. <laughs> yeah, we might have to do that. I genuinely would love to have that. That would be so fun to be a part of that story and to be uh, to be able to test that. Yeah. And then getting uh, also getting into dry land conditions instead of just straight irrigated, where right. where my conditions are a little bit more variable. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, that might be a good situation to test it in. <laughs> I, I'm trying to sell you on an idea, and I hope you take me up on it. <laughs> well, I do want to bring you a stroke counter to try out, if nothing else. So. Oh, well, I, that would be good, too. <laughs> no, I mean, it, that's a serious thing. The first thing that I have to do to teach somebody to run a baler is to say, look, we're we're trying to get a bale that's 45 inches long or 46 inches long. Yeah. Really, ideally, we're shooting for a two-inch flake. You know, a day might come where I say, yeah, we got a rainstorm coming. I want three-inch flakes today because we got to get it done. That math is the very first thing that I always teach somebody running a baler so they understand what they should be looking for and what they should be counting. And if they're mm-hmm. counting, they're also paying attention to whether the bale's tied or not, and they're not leaving a long string of bales through a field that didn't <laughs> tie right. <laughs> right. I mean, all of those kind of things. But that really is the first step in yeah. being a baler operator, not just somebody, not just a warm body in a seat. Yep. I sold four stroke counters to a guy up in Canada this year, and he let me know, I don't know, maybe a month after first cutting started for them, that they had started bailing and they had four inexperienced guys on, I think, Massey 1842s. And mm-hmm. I was really impressed at how well they were able to do using the stroke counters because they're all, they all green guys, first year bailing, and mm-hmm. said they made some phenomenal hay for, for being rookies. So, Yeah, like I said, I, I have that Freeman 370 with the engine on it. And I think yeah. between a, a stroke counter and, and being able to basically infinitely adjust your ground speed uh, yeah. with any with any tractor, really, uh, yep. you can make some really consistent bales of hay. Absolutely. That's why I like the, as much as it seems silly, an engine drive baler really does work good for, I mean, the only other way you're going to duplicate that is to buy a much more expensive tractor with a, a CVT or IVT type right. transmission. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good. So. I'm still farming with some antiques. I have a <laughs> yep. I have a 4020 that pulls that baler fairly well. And yeah, that 4020 with the synchro range, it's infinitely variable on ground speed because I don't have to <laughs> because I don't have to maintain the tractor engine RPM to right. run the baler. Yep. Plus that hundred horse tractor wouldn't run a 370 straight PTO anyways. Oh, it probably would. It'd know it was there. <laughs> well, yeah, that belt can only handle about 38 horsepower. Hmm. And um, at least that's what the engineering charts show. And then um, the the hydraulic driving ones, you can actually put a pressure gauge on them. And one time I was diagnosing one that wasn't operating very consistently. And so I was checking the hydraulic pressure on it. And you can do a calculation off of pressure and flow to get your horsepower really easily. And I did it out of curiosity's sake, and in first cutting Timothy, 17 strokes per bale, should have been about 44-inch long bales, um, it was doing about 22 horsepower on the on the uh, power stroke. Hmm. 
So that's not as much as I would expect. No, that great big flywheel and those big bull gears and momentum the heavy from the plunger all going together. It, it knocks through stuff without too much, too much power needed. If somebody wanted to find your stroke counter, where could they look for it? Um, you can go to agexcellence.com, A-G-X-C-E-L-L-E-N-C-E.com. The stroke counters are available with a moisture sensor now. That was new for this year, so you can get a pad for the left or right-hand side of the bail chamber, or if you just need one or two, there's options there. And then um, we actually have the uh, GPS ground speed uh, sensor as an option as well. We included that for guys like you with older tractors that don't have a ground speed readout and also the old self-propelled Freeman balers that are common around here. You get a hydrostat that doesn't give you a real consistent ground speed uphill or downhill and well, now you can turn around and get back to kind of the ballpark speed that you were doing good strokes per bale with. Actually, that that all sounds pretty interesting to me and for, yeah. all, for all the reasons you just listed. Uh, <laughs> to be able to get in the baler and say, all right, you're going to be going between this many miles an hour and this many miles an hour. And you're right. And you're trying to make this number show 17 over and over and over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be under utilizing your baler and you don't want to be pushing it so hard that you're making a inconsistent product. That's hard to sell or hard to handle. Yep. Thank you very much for joining us today and taking us through your experience and the products that you've been working on. It's a little bit unique to have somebody in the hay world that's so comfortable with electronics and hydraulics, and that, that's just not really normal. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, and I really appreciate getting the time to come on here and talk to you about it and, and hopefully be able to help some folks. If you'd like more information on Hay Kings, you can go to hay-kings.com to the shop for merchandise, and we have some news stories on there, and you can find more on the podcast. Thank you.